The title of the message is Knowing God. Knowing God. And we're going to get there in a second. You can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And while you're turning there, I want to make an announcement, sort of give you a heads up about what's coming in the weeks ahead. I've decided that since summertime is here, and we're just finishing now the first two chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, that I'm going to take a break because I, I just feel, been feeling sort of convicted about this recently. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to preach a series of messages. Right now I have six messages uh, sort of outlined out that I want to share with you. And, and really the, the whole series is just going to be called uh, True Answers to Tough Questions. I, I think that we're living in a time where everything's being questioned. And, uh, and there are lots of questions. And we're seeing debates about things and people saying things now in the public arena, and our culture accepting things now um, that we need to get some answers for. I mean, I want, in my role as your pastor, in my role of equipping you, my goal is to equip you um, through God's Word to just answer some of the things that are being questioned right now, answer some of the questions that are floating out there. And I want to be up front with you, and I'm going to tell you some of the topics here in a moment, but I want you to know that this isn't going to be one of those series of messages where I'm going to get up here and shout and have a red face and we're all going to shout amen because we're preaching to the choir. And I, we could do that. We could do that. That is not my interest. What my interest is, is give you biblical answers, um, not just build straw men and knock them down. I want to give you biblical answers from God's word about tough questions that are out there. Like, for instance, I'm going to deal with uh, the issue of abortion, which has been in the news constantly and consistently, and I'm going to give you the Bible's answer to that. And like I said, this isn't about uh, me beating the pulpit and getting red-faced and all those, although I have to say on that issue alone, it's a personal issue for me. My son, another 10 hours would have passed without intervention. He would not be here. He would have been aborted. And so... Every time I look at my son, I'm reminded that that child in the womb is a child after all. And, and my son is evidence of that. So we're going to talk about the issue of abortion. We're going to talk about the issue of race and racism. And that's an issue that needs to be dealt with from the Bible, not from the social uh, constructs, not from the universities, not from our government, but from the Bible. What does the Bible say about race and racism? We need to deal with the issue of social justice. And that's, that's an issue that's floating about in all sorts of different arenas. And the Bible has a great deal to say about social justice. It may not be what you expect. Uh, we're going to deal with issues of gender, what the Bible says about gender. There are other issues, but I want, you, I want to reemphasize to you that my goal is not to preach to the choir. My goal is just to go to God's Word and ask, what's the answer to this tough question from God's Word? So we're going to be doing that over the next... Uh, six weeks or so over the summer, we're going to be dealing with that. But today, uh, we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 9, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and down through verse 16. So just read along with me, follow along with, with me as we pick up where we left off last week, where Paul says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me just say something about that just for a moment. And that's just a statement really about the, the truth that from man's perspective or the wisdom of men, remember, we're in this conversation 
all throughout chapter 2 and in the end of chapter 1, this sort of juxtaposition of man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And what he's really getting at there is that unless it had been that God has, has shown us these things, we'd have never known them. The wisdom of man can't, can't get to the bottom of things. And look at verse 10 where he really begins to make that clear to us. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought, thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thought of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I remember a time in my life where my relationship with God really began to change. And uh, things, things began to look differently for me. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, as a lot of you did. I went to uh, Sunday school. I went to church three times a week. You know, we were full, full three-part Baptist back then, David. You know, we did Sunday morning, we did Sunday night, and then we did Wednesday night. You know, those were the three sacred times in Baptist life. I went to church three times a week. I went to Sunday school. Ever since I can remember ever being in Sunday school, I was there in Sunday school. I went to RAs. How many of you went to RAs? Some of you did. I was a royal ambassador. I went to RAs and and uh, did all kinds of, of neat things and silly things in RAs. I got a little older. I graduated into the youth group. I went to endless Bible studies and small groups and youth trips and all kinds of things and conferences. I grew up, I mean, I was as churched as you can get. And I want to tell you that when I got into my early adult years, I knew a lot about God. I mean, I knew a lot. My friends could ask me questions, and I could give answers. I knew a lot of information about God. But something began to change when Denise and I were, were first married. And I made up my mind uh, that I was going to read through all the Gospels. I was just going to read through them. I just wanted to get to know Jesus better. But I, I think, as I'm looking back on it, I, I think really, and I'm not just saying this to make the, fit the narrative or the illustration, I think really my goal was just to get more information. You know, I just wanted to know more about Jesus. I really wanted to know, be able to answer questions. I, I was sort of at the time listening to some teachers and, and people who were really knowledgeable. And I thought, I want to be like that. And I want to listen and, and know, or I want to read and know Christ better. And so I began to read the Gospels. But something really interesting began to happen to me through that process. And that's as I really engaged meaningfully with the Scriptures I really started to read and just read about Jesus and try to understand him better. He actually began to come alive to me in the pages of Scripture. Like he really became a person to me for the first time in my life. Not just a figure out there that I knew about, not just somebody that I understood significant things about. He became a person that I began to know personally 
and intimately as I went through that process. And for the first time in my life, I think that I really made the transition from knowing a lot about God to really beginning to know God personally. From knowing a lot about Jesus to really beginning to know Jesus personally. And isn't it a wonderful thing? I mean, just think about this with me before we go any further. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we can know God? I mean, just think about the the magnitude of that statement. Think about the fact that you and I can know God, not just know about Him, not just study and know things about Him, not just know His nature or what He's done or His works, but we can actually know Him. And isn't it wonderful that God wants to be known? I mean, think about it. This is really amazing truth that I think sometimes we just gloss over, that, that it's may be too familiar with to us, but we just we don't think about the magnitude of the fact that God can be known and He wants us to know Him. I mean, I think about in Acts chapter 17, a really good example of this is Paul in Athens. And he's arrived in Athens, and you may know the story. Paul's been sort of sent there because Paul's a troublemaker anywhere he goes. And so they send him on to Athens and just basically say, hey, wait for us. We'll get there. You just go there. Be quiet. No more riots, Paul. No more stonings, Paul. We don't want to have to go out and pick you up outside of the village again. Just go be quiet. And he gets to Athens and he's looking around and suddenly the Bible says that his his heart was stirred within him. His spirit was stirred within him because he's looking around and everywhere he looks, there's temples and altars to gods. All the Greek gods were represented there in Athens. All of them. You name them, here's one, there's one, there's another one. But it's one altar in particular that it caught his attention. And it was the altar to the unknown God. And Paul said, well, here's my opportunity. He said, I may not be able to convince you about Zeus or Hermes or any of the others, but let me talk to you about the unknown God. This one that you don't know I want you to know him, and he's the one I'm going to teach you about. And it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 27, he says, The God, this is the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Isn't that interesting, by the way? Some of us are, 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 are so happy that, that God has us on his team sometimes. I just want you to know that God really doesn't need you on his team. He's not served by human hands. It's a privilege that he invites us onto his team. So he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he's made from one one man, every nation of humankind or mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. And this is where it's really interesting that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Hear what he's saying there? This God that you don't know, He wants to be known. He wants you to seek Him out. And He wants you to find Him. And then he says, and yet He is actually not far from each one of us. He's there to be known. He's there to be found. God is not hiding from us. That's good news. God is is not off somewhere ignoring us. God is interested in us. God is 
desiring to be known by us. And I assume, I assume that on some level or another, because you're here in this room, you want to know God. You, you want to know Him more intimately. You want to have a better knowledge of Him. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you from this passage of Scripture that we just read about knowing God. And particularly, I want to talk about the ways that we come to know God or the ways that God allows us to, to know Him. And in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul identifies two ways, two primary ways in which we know God. And then he gives us one stern warning about the thing or the, the way that you can live your life that will keep you from knowing God. So as we walk through this, uh, and this idea of knowing God, I want you just to, if you're taking notes, write down two words, and then I'll expand on them as we go through the, the message. The first word is revelation. Revelation. And then the second word is illumination. So revelation and illumination. And when I use the word revelation, I'm not talking about the book at the end of your Bible uh, where there's all sorts of strange things that are hard for us to understand. What I'm talking about here is just the idea and what that word means is an unveiling, this idea of getting to, to be able to see something. This is the first and primary way that we know anything about God. And I want you to understand this. This is my first point is that we know God because God has revealed Himself to us. We know Him because He has revealed Himself to us. Look at verse 10 again, where it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now just focus, or if you're a note taker, or you underline things, just focus on those words, God has revealed. Now think about this. Every person has the capacity to either reveal themselves or conceal themselves. You ever thought about that? Like, like every person can choose to either reveal themselves to others or conceal themselves from others. And you, you can't really ever know a person unless a person decides to reveal themselves to you. You get that? Like yesterday, I was I was down on the on the bay over in Pasadena, and I had a wedding over there, and uh, and there was this young couple, and it was a beautiful day in a beautiful setting. I, I I rarely take pictures of weddings that I perform, but I took a picture and sent it to Denise. It was just so pretty. And here's this young couple, and they were young, like twenty four and twenty three, I think. And here they were, and I say that's young. I got married uh, a few years younger than that, uh, but. They were young, and they're they're standing there before me that day. And I, I walked the groom in, and we're standing there. And the the bride, you know, she comes out from over in this direction and walks around. and And I glanced over at him, and he's looking at her, full of love. You know, his eyes, he's beaming. And I'm thinking to myself, "Oh man, you're in for it, brother. <laughs> like you're in love, but you don't even know her yet." You know, he's going to find out. When you got married to the person that you married, it wasn't until you got married that you really started to know them. And why is that? It's because we're on our best behavior before we get married, right? We're concealing. Like, I'm looking at her. She's taking her vows, and she's looking at him, and her eyes are welling up with tears. And I'm thinking, man, pretty soon this guy's going to come home and throw his underwear on the floor. He's going to clip his toenails on your carpet 
Like, he's going to do all kinds of things you never knew about him because he's going to begin to reveal himself to you. And that's how it is. When you get to know somebody, it's only because they've revealed themselves to you. And that's why, as we grow in our relationships to one another, we can really say that we know somebody. It's because we've chosen to open up, and God's the same way. God's the same way. God, I know this sounds strange, but you know that God is a person. And God is personal. And God has chosen, in order for us to know Him, to reveal Himself to us. That's one of the blessings of of knowing God. And when we talk about the way that God reveals Himself to us, we talk about it in two basic terms. We talk about the general way that God reveals Himself to us. In general revelation, God has revealed Himself in His creation. Romans 1.20 says, For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So you can look around. And you can know there's a God because there's a creation all around. But the, the, we also talk about the way that God reveals himself to us specially. In the crowning way that God has done that, the highest way that God has revealed himself to us specially is through Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself in John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So I, Jesus was saying, I am revealing to you who God is. If you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen it all. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. In other words, anything that you need to know about God, the fullness of God dwells in Christ bodily. We have seen God because we've seen Christ. So He's been revealed to us, but He's also been revealed to us in His Word, particularly for us. When we talk about the special revelation of God, we're talking about the Bible that we hold in our hands. Do you know that the Bible you hold in your hands is the self-revelation of God? I mean, just think about that. That this Bible that you hold in your hands is the self-disclosure of God. He's telling you who He is. He's telling you what we should believe about Him. He's telling you about His character, His ways. He's revealed Himself to us through His Word. Now, how many of you this week caught the news in the news? You'd have had to been living under a rock this week to to miss this, uh, of the billionaire Robert Smith who was giving a a speech at Morehouse College. Were you there? I hope I haven't offended those of you who didn't hear about this. I didn't really mean you were living under a rock. But it would have been hard to miss. It would have been hard to miss. This guy, he got up at the the graduation services and he gave a speech. And nearing the end of his speech, he announced that his family was making a grant to pay off all the student loans of the graduating class of that college for 2019. They estimate it's about $40 million. He's going to pay it all off. That's wonderful. You should have seen. If you want to laugh, get a good giggle, just go back and watch it and see the people behind him, like the faces they made. And I mean, it was, just, it was just funny. But it wasn't that that caught my attention. I was watching that story like some of you, and I was thinking, what a wonderful thing to do. What a great thing to do. What, a, what an amazing act of, of love and generosity. But it was something else that really caught my attention about his speech. And I don't know if you caught it too, but at the end of his speech, 
The very last words that he said as he was closing were these words. He said, may the sun always shine upon you. May the wind always be at your back. And may God always hold you in the cradle of her hands. Yeah, you caught that right, didn't you? (laughs) Now, he just made a statement about God. He made a statement about what he believes about God and who he believes God is. And if you didn't catch it, I think most of you did. But if you didn't catch it, he said that God is a woman. Now, where does that idea come from? I mean, there's only one answer to that. It can only come from the mind and the thoughts and the intellect of a man. It certainly, maybe I shouldn't say it only can come there. I heard somebody say Satan, you're right. But, but, but it comes from somewhere other than the Bible. Because there's no place where God has revealed himself to us in any place in the Scriptures, in any way, shape, or form, has God revealed Himself in the Scriptures to be a woman. Now, don't get mad at me, ladies, and say, Oh, you're such a domineering man, and it's all this man hierarchy stuff. Listen, it's just what God's Word says. Every single time that God is mentioned, He's mentioned in the masculine. And I'm not here to even labor that point. I'm just here to prove the point that sometimes people come up with ideas about God that have nothing to do with the Scriptures. Nothing to do with the Scriptures. And Robert Smith's idea and proclamation about God has nothing at all to do with the way that God has revealed Himself to us in the Scriptures. If you really want to know God, open your Bible. And don't, don't go out in the woods somewhere and meditate. Lord knows what kind of thoughts you'll come up with. Me too. And don't go fishing one day and decide, you know, I'm going to think about God today until I really know Him. You might come up with Robert Smith's idea about God. If you want to know God, look at the place where God has revealed Himself. If you want to know God, look at His own self-disclosure. This is not difficult. Like, if you want to know Him... Just look in the Bible. If you really have a desire to know God and you struggle with the Scriptures yourself, well, then come to Bible study. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for, to teach you about the Word of God, to equip you in the Word of God. If you want to know God, open your Bible. That's where He's revealed Himself. And then secondly, there's that word illumination. Well, this is really good and interesting. Illumination. We know God because He's revealed Himself to us. But when we talk about illumination, what we're saying is that we know God because God helps us to understand spiritual things. God helps us to understand who He is. The Holy Spirit of God helps to illuminate spiritual things so we can see them clearly. Look at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And so also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, what Paul's saying there, it's just a very simple illustration or or a very simple way of saying this. No one knows God like God. You could say like this, just to put it in, in human terms, in personal terms. No one knows me better than me. You know what I mean? I mean, some of you know me to varying levels. You, you know, some of you know me pretty well. But you don't really know me like I know me. 
You ought to be glad about that, by the way. You know, I remember Jerry Vines one time saying, if you knew everything about me, you'd never listen to me. And if I knew everything about you, I'd never preach to you. Like, it's a good thing we don't know everything about each other. But you don't really know me. Like Denise knows me better than anybody on the planet. Far and away, she knows me more intimately than anybody on the planet. But even Denise doesn't know me like I know me. And that's the idea here that, that he's saying, if, if, you, if you really want to know someone, you have to ask that person. Like, if you really want to know what makes me tick, if you really want to know uh, why I do the things I do, and some of you, I'm sure, want to know why do you do the things you do. If you really want to know what I meant when I said the things I said, the only place you're ever really going to get the, the true answer is from me. And that's what he's saying here. This is what Paul means at the end of verse 11 when he says, No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But the wonderful thing is in verse 12, where he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So he's saying that, that God himself, through his Holy Spirit, is the one who dwells in us. We've been given the Spirit of God, and it's God's Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the things that are freely given to us by God. This is one of the great truths of the New Testament, one of the great truths of the Christian life that I think is often neglected and misunderstood, and that's the fact that when you and I come to a relationship with Jesus, when we realize that we're sinners, every one of us, and that we deserve the, the wrath of God, and we realize the truth and understand the truth that God sent His Son Jesus to live in our place, to die as our substitute, and then to be raised conquering death, ascend into heaven as our advocate. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we're saved and we're justified, another thing that happens according to the New Testament and according to Jesus is that the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of us. And Jesus said specifically that the Holy Spirit, that he would send the Holy Spirit and he would send him as our helper. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us is by helping us to understand spiritual truths. He makes sense of things that we can't make sense of. He helps us in ways that we can't help ourselves. You know, one of the best ways that you can really begin to to grow spiritually is simply to place yourself in submission to God and say, God, teach me. I'm going to not do it my way. I, I want you to illuminate things for us. That's what Paul's talking about here, this, this idea of illumination. The Holy Spirit of God helps us to understand. And some, some of us are so frustrated at our, our lack of understanding. I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to ask because I'm with you. How many of you have ever been frustrated at your level of understanding of the things of God? And you're just thinking, why is it so easy for Billy Graham? You know, why, is, why does it seem like child's play to R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur? But me, I, I just can't get it. I'm confused. I, I just, what's going on here? And then you can misunderstand here where I think you could think, well, is that evidence then that the Holy Spirit's not dwelling in me? Because is Paul saying that 
if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then we'll just automatically understand everything. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think the Holy Spirit's there to help you. I think he's there to help you in the same way that I help Owen sometimes. And I say sometimes because there's a lot of times now, especially he's in this phase where he just wants to do it himself. And he picks up something and, and you know, yesterday Denise bought him this uh, water gun that has a pack. He wears it on his back. He fills it up with water. He's got a pump that has a hose connected to it and he terrorizes all of us with it. Yeah. <laughs> He just runs, sprays you in the face when you're not looking and just does all the... But he comes outside and, he, and I notice he's sitting on the ground and, and he's trying to assemble it. And you got to put hoses together. And I say, buddy, I'll come over there and help you. I'll do it. And he, this is what he does. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it, daddy. So he says to me all the time. But eventually, usually, he'll get frustrated and he'll say, daddy, help me. Or mommy, help me. And then we'll go over there and we'll help him. We'll show him how to do something. And we'll show him and... And with our help, he, he can get it done that time, but then we uh, withdraw for a moment, and then he starts struggling again. And it takes some time, right? You understand what I'm getting at? It's not just like you get saved and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and all of a sudden uh, you understand everything and you get everything. It takes consistent time where we appeal to God, help me to understand, help me to see the Scriptures. You know, one of the things that I do sometimes and, and I, I, sometimes I do this often, probably more times than not, is while I'm preparing my sermons, I'll get in, inevitably, at some point in the week, I will get in a place where I am absolutely stuck. Absolutely ground to a halt. I can't make sense of the scriptures. I can't outline it. I can't do it. I'm not exaggerating. I get to a place where it just to me, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. And you know what I, I have learned to do over the years when that happens? I put down my pen. I close up my journal. And I say, God, if you don't make this clear to me, I'll never get it. So God, illuminate the scriptures. You, you have inspired these words. I trust that you can also illuminate them and make them clear to me. And somehow, it's, it's never like a, a light bulb goes off. It's not magic. It's not a, a lightning bolt from heaven. But somehow, somehow in the way that the Spirit of God interacts with us, He finds a way to open up the scriptures to me and I begin to understand. But it takes time and it takes consistency. Don't give up. God wants to be known. He's revealed himself to us. In verse 13, he says, We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. But here he says again, taught by the Spirit. We're taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So he says, if you want to know God, the primary ways that you do that is by, or that you're able to do that is because God has revealed himself to you in his word and God illuminates his word to us so that we can understand it. But he closes this passage with a really clear warning. I'll do this quick. I'll do this quick. Somebody actually said to me, oh, you preached awful short message last week. I said, well, I won't let that happen again. <laughs> so careful what you mentioned to me. But look at verse 14. He concludes with this, with this warning. And he warns us about something that will short-circuit our ability to know God and understand spiritual things. Look at verse 14. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, 
And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I'm not going to try to do uh, too much here, but I do want you to understand that this is one of those places in the Scriptures where the English translation struggles with the Greek language. And there's so much more going on underneath in the Greek language than we get in our, our English translations. And, and one of the things that we don't immediately see is that at the end of verse 13, Paul mentions those who are spiritual. That word spiritual talks about the nature of a person or the disposition of a person. It means that this is a, the type of person who is, who is more concerned about the things of God, the type of person who's pursuing the things of God, the type of person who's made those things a priority. He's a spiritual person. And in verse 14, he sort of sets against that the natural person. And this is the type of person, according to the word that's underlined in the Greek, that's just sort of concerned with natural things. It's the same type of word that would be used to describe the nature of your dog. Now, what is your dog concerned about? Eating? Sleeping? Being petted? You know, playing with toys? Pretty much whatever's right in front of him at the moment. He's only concerned about the things right here, right now. My dog right now is at home in his kennel, and I can guarantee you that he's not wondering what we're doing tomorrow for Memorial Day. The only thing he cares about is what's going on right now, right here, right in front of him. And that's the, the, the thing that Paul is attempting here to sort of set over and against one another these two types of people. He says there's one who's being taught by the Spirit. These are spiritual people. They're interested in and concerned about the things of God. And then there's the natural person. And the natural person is the person who has become convinced that there's nothing else important to me right now except the thing that's right in front of me. And I don't believe necessarily that we're always only talking about one of these people is saved and one of them isn't. I believe that some of us at times in our life can behave like the person in verse 14. It's our disposition. What are the things that I prioritize? What are the things that matter to me? What are the things that really concern me? Am I living concerned with the things of this world and this life and material things that are right in front of me? And what does he say happens to that type of person? Well, they begin to reject the things of God. They become folly. They become meaningless. They become pointless. And once you get concerned with the things right in front of you, and that's the only concern you have, the next step is that soon you're not even able to understand the things of God. Listen. I'm going to close like this. God wants to be known. He wants us to know Him personally and intimately. God has revealed Himself to us through Christ and through His Word. He's given us His Spirit to illuminate and to help us understand who He is. All of these things, God wants to be known. He wants us to know Him. But listen to what I'm about to say. God is not going to drag you kicking and screaming into a deep personal relationship with Him. You, you really have to do your part. 
And if our focus is on this world and the things of this life, we're going to struggle to know God. Listen to me. I, I, I believe that, that there are many people who have a genuine saving relationship with Jesus Christ who have become distracted in their life by the things of this world, and they're struggling to even make sense of the things of God at this moment in their life. And I be, believe it's because of this. When our disposition becomes that we're more concerned with the things of this world, you will struggle to know God. You will struggle to understand the things of God. It'll stop making sense to you. And so my challenge to you today is to commit yourself to focus on knowing God. Set aside a little time each day to spend with God, to get to know God. Pray for God to illuminate your understanding. The best thing you can do before you engage God in His Word is just to say, God, I'm going to do my best, but without you I don't have any prayer, so just help me. Help me understand. Teach me something. When you come to church and you hear a sermon, one of the greatest prayers you can pray is, God, illuminate what this fool is saying to me. Make it make sense to me. Get him out of the way and show me what it is you want me to hear. Just ask God to illuminate and and, and ask God to reveal himself to you more and more each day in his word. It's a wonderful truth that we can know God. But we have to do our part in that.